Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is episode 205. I'm your host, Ralph Burns, alongside my virtual co-host, Molly Pittman. How are you, Molly? (laughs) I'm awesome. How are you doing, Ralph? I'm doing great. When I say virtual, it's like we record this virtually. If you haven't heard this the first time you're actually tuning into Perpetual Traffic, welcome. We've got 204 other episodes for you to go through and hopefully gain some knowledge about, but we do this virtually. Molly is now in, where are you? Lake Tahoe? I'm in Lake Tahoe. It's beautiful here today. Yeah, that is awesome. And I'm back on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. We've both been doing a lot of traveling the last couple of weeks here. (laughs) I know it. I know it. And it's great to be back doing this live and talking about some really important things here today that I don't think we've talked about in quite some time on Perpetual Traffic. Here we are going on episode 205. We've talked about it way back in the double digits of our podcast. And I don't think there's a more important topic. Yeah. And it's something I think we've probably, I don't know, glossed over a lot in the last three to four months because there's been so many tactical and technical changes in the Facebook ad platform, which you obviously need to know about all those things like campaign budget optimization, split testing, all the other things that we've gone on about for the last you know three to six months as far as changes go in the platform. But when it comes back to what we talk about here, we talk about advertising. And the key to that is one of the most challenging things in advertising. And David Ogilvy says it, Eugene Schwartz says it, these great advertisers from the past. They say, how do you turn someone who doesn't know anything about what you do, what you sell, what service you provide into a customer using paid traffic or paid advertising? And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. And it's a concept that we at Tier 11, I think, 
you know, we've been so wrapped up in the technical side of, you know, all our SOPs and all these new technical innovations and how to get things really analytical and to approach advertising in a very scientific way. But at the core of it is creativity and creativity comes out of understanding who your avatar is and what message, what marketing message they're going to respond to, to take interest in your ad as it floats by them in their newsfeed or in their story or wherever your placement is on the Facebook and Instagram ad platforms. And the crucial element to all this is your hook, the hook of your ad. So we're going to be talking about what is a hook here today, how we actually create hooks, how we tie those into our avatars, and just sort of give you an idea as to how we do it inside Tier 11 as well as how Molly does it for her customers and how she's been doing it for the last five or six years through all the paid advertising that she's done. And it's a critical element that we're going to be focusing on. I would suggest probably within the next three to six months, we'll have multiple episodes on offshoots of this subject for sure. Absolutely. And I think, Ralph, what's important for people to understand, I know we're about to talk about what is a hook, but I first want to say what is not a hook. (laughs) And your ad copy is not your hook. Your offer, the thing that you're actually selling, is not your hook. The hook is really the marketing message, the reason, as you said, that someone's going to show interest and actually buy your product. So there are a lot of marketers out there, and I see this with my students, that have really cool products, great pricing, great offers, and they've written good ad copy, but they've left out the middle here of the creation of this hook. And therefore, the ads don't work because there's not a real reason for someone to buy the product. And I think this is more important in 2019 than it ever has been, not just because of the way Facebook works. You know, we all know Google is a search query platform mostly where people are actually going to search for a new monthly planner. So they're going to search, they're showing intent to purchase that product. Facebook is very different. We are disrupting people. We are showing up in their newsfeed. They've never heard of us before. And the more relevant we can be with product and messaging match and the creation of this hook, the better your ads are going to perform. So again, I couldn't think of a more important topic to discuss here. And I'm excited to get started. Yeah, I I think it's so important that if you look at how the platforms have changed. Yeah, they've changed a lot. Facebook is not the same today as it was three, four years ago. We talked exactly about that in episode 200, You know how you can't be running your ads in 2019 like you did in 2015 when we first started this show. But one of the things that's been constant is that even in that four-year period, the best ads still have the best hook, yes. right? They have a really good message to market match. They understand what the avatar's pains or desires are. So much so that, you know, we at Tier 11 are actually doing a book club, which Molly is now invited to. She's in our Slack channel for that on one of the best advertising books ever. I mean, it's kind of quaint and sort of interesting, some of the examples that he uses, but it's very expensive to get on on Amazon, apparently, is Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. It talks exactly about this and how challenging it is to get cold traffic or people who don't know who you are interested 
in what it is that you do. And the hook, even though he never mentions that specifically by name, that's more of our, our name or even maybe even a Ryan Dice name that he came up with at some point in time. The point is, is that that is the most important thing that you have to focus on. And that's been constant through the last four years here on Facebook or ever since I started back in 10 years ago when the platform started. So, I mean, the point is, is that this is a central theme that people, if you don't get it right, you're going to be spending more than you need to on the platform. You're not going to get the results that you're looking for. Well, I mean, this is essential in getting advertising or getting Facebook advertising to work in the first place, but it's also essential for scale. So Ezra and I just hosted a three-day boot camp with 30 students a few weeks ago in Denver. It was awesome. And what was interesting is that most students want to get into the nitty-gritty technical side of Facebook. What objectives do I use? What about CBO? How do I scale? And I'm doing air quotes here because you know most people think that scale is a very technical activity. And what we actually spent most of our time on was avatars and hooks yeah. and copy and targeting and the elements that seem fundamental, but they are what make up a successful campaign. And the ability to create multiple hooks and multiple avatars is actually where, in my opinion, most scale comes from through paid traffic. But before we dive into to this, Ralph, I just want to recommend, you just mentioned the before and after grid. So that is, I guess you would call it a training or it's an asset that Ryan Dice created. So I would also recommend you guys Googling before and after grid. You'll find some videos of Ryan teaching the before and after grid that will also be very helpful. Yeah. And we actually have that grid as part of our onboarding and we do our, we refer to as our ASR calls inside tier 11 or really what it is. It's a hook call. It's a strategy and it's a hook call. We still go back to that training like that before and after state and the identification of multiple avatars using one of the things that you invented way back on episode 33, which is the ad grid. All right, so let's get right into it. Like, let's define some of these terms here and then teach people like how we do this. Like you do it the way that you do it, the way that we do it and sort of merge the worlds together so the listeners can really get a good idea of how you actually do this because this is one of the more challenging things that you're going to do as an advertiser. It's not mastering CBO or split testing. It's going to be figuring out hooks and then writing ad copy and having creatives that are in line with that. So maybe Molly, you can just explain to everyone like what, is a hook. You had mentioned it's a marketing message. It's a yeah. why people want your offer. But what is it more than that? Yeah. So, I mean, my definition, I just looked back in some slides from Train My Traffic Person. My technical definition, and we can go more into this, is the compelling reason or reasons that encourage a prospect or customer to take the action you're requesting of them. So that's really the best way I can describe it. What's interesting about hooks is that you have to use multiple hooks because I always explain that your market's like a pond of fish. And so imagine that you're selling yoga gear and your pond of fish, all of these people are yogis. They love yoga. Okay, so that is what they have in common that we know they have in common because we're going to do really good targeting to find yogis that are practicing. But when it comes to the creation of the hooks and why this is so important is let's say you're selling a specific yoga mat. 
Well, this market, even though they're all interested in yoga, they are very different humans. And they are experiencing different day-to-day lives, I guess is the best way to put it. And so some of these yogis might be in more of an emotional state, and they might respond to more emotional ad copy about how it's going to make them feel better, how it's going to make them feel different, where another yogi might be in more of a logical state or just inherently responds to logic statements. So they might need to see a stat or a fact about how their current yoga mat might be hurting their back or God knows what, (laughs) whatever, you know, however that turns out to be. Where on the other hand, there might be a yogi that's really experiencing some, let's say, frustrating average days. So they're not having good days. Maybe they're stuck in traffic and they might respond to more of an average day hook of how this yoga mat is going to, let's say, save them time. It's easier to roll up. It's easier to get it to your car than the average yoga mat. So it's going to save you a few minutes of time. And that would matter to that person because that That's what they're currently struggling with. So I don't know if I'm explaining this perfectly, Ralph, but in my opinion, a marketing hook is a reason that a prospect or customer would take the action you're requesting. But what's, I think, the most important thing to understand about hooks is that there must be multiple hooks because there are different reasons that people are purchasing your product. Right. Exactly. So a big part of this is understanding the avatar, right? So the first step in hook creation, you know, we've done a fair amount of training on this is typically exactly that. It's identify your avatar with a, you know, apostrophe S at the end of it, because it might be more than one person. Like for example, in your yoga mat example, you're talking about yogis. All right, well, that is one but inside those yogis, there's actually sort of subcategories or sub avatars of each Absolutely. one of those yogis. And looking at it sort of from a scientific perspective, is that when you as an ad copywriter would start to actually piece together your now famous ad grid? Yeah, great question. Honestly, What's first important to identify when you're working with a client or for your business is whether you are a market-centric business or whether you are a product-centric business. So let me give you an example. A market-centric business would be, let's take my Christian client, for example, with the free Christian docuseries. They are very much a market-centric business. They serve Christians. And Mm -hmm. although there might be sub-avatars there of different types of Christians or different pieces of the market that I could identify, when it comes to me sitting down and doing my targeting research, and when it comes to me sitting down and writing my ad copy, there's really only one avatar I'm thinking about. It's Christians. Same thing with my other client that serves the keto market. You know, we're pretty much serving people that are interested in the keto diet, that are interested in healthy living. Ezra's business is pretty much a market-centric business. He serves women over the age of 50. It's pretty simple. So that's more of a market-centric business. 
And with a market-centric business, you can really start out with just one avatar, in my opinion. Like with the Christian client, we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on ads, and I've never had to further identify an avatar than just a Christian because that's who we're selling to. It's just that simple. But Where this gets really complicated is when you are a product-centric business. So a product-centric business is all about the product. It's not about the market necessarily. And so I learned this in a hard way when I took on Panda Planner as a client. Panda Planner is self-explanatory. It's not for pandas, but it's it's a planner. How pandas plan their day. <laughs> yeah. It's a planner. There are literally hundreds of planners on the market today. This planner is scientifically designed to empower you to take back control of your life. So there is some science to it. There is some positivity thrown into the messaging around it that it can, you know, help you become a more positive person. But otherwise, it is a planner. Like that is what I was selling. And when I first started the avatar creation, the targeting, the copy, I struggled because I was thinking, okay, well, I'll target Moleskin and I'll target other companies that are selling planners and I'll target other companies that are selling high-end note cards and pens because if you love that stuff, you probably want a planner, right? And I knew this was wrong because when I went to write the ad copy, it was very bland. It was very much focused around the features of the planner. Look at, you know, there's a spot down here to write this, and then you can make a list up here in the right-hand corner, stuff people really don't care about. And um, I still launched those ads, and they failed miserably. And so this is when I really understood the concept of a product-centric business. So what I did, actually, I didn't do this, but the Panda Planner team did this. And I know this is one way that you do your research, Ralph, and this is just one way that I do mine. But we sent out a survey and not just a vanilla survey to the whole email list. We actually personally contacted the top 20 customers who had spent the most money with the company and made them feel special. You know, they got a special reach out from someone on the team. And in exchange for free product, we had them answer some questions and submit some photos of themselves. So the questions that we asked were, what was your life like before Panda Planner? What is your life like after Panda Planner? And if you were to recommend Panda Planner to a friend, what exactly would you say? And then we asked their name and their occupation. And again, we had them submit some photos that they agreed we could use in marketing. And so what I found through going through these results and also through their Amazon reviews and the reviews on their website is that we did actually have some really distinct avatars. And those were moms, which I never would have thought were using this planner because this planner is built by a guy named Mike. You know, he's like a younger tech guy, definitely not a mom. (laughs) If you went to the website, pandaplanner.com, you wouldn't really see anything about moms. But Mm -hmm. that was a huge avatar. I also found that people dealing with anxiety was a huge avatar. Entrepreneurs, architects, and dads. 
And so what I did is I picked three of these to start. I picked moms, anxiety-ridden humans, and I think entrepreneurs. I went deep into those three, did a lot of avatar research. If you guys are interested in more information around avatar research, go to modernpublisher.com forward slash persona. That's Russ Henneberry's new brand. He is the best at teaching avatars. I had him come out to Denver to this boot camp and do two hours on avatars because he goes deep and he gets it. So I first go into these avatars. Who are they? What are their value sets? What are they thinking every day? Everything that we know we need to do around avatars. Then I moved into the Facebook targeting research. So finding some very deep, specific interests around moms, like different mommy blogs. I don't know if you knew this, Ralph, but there is an interest called mommy loves vodka (laughs) or mommy (laughs) needs vodka. (laughs) Daddy needs vodka. (laughs) And I found that and that interest worked really great for us. Anxiety ridden humans. I found associations around stress. There are actually a good amount of interest around stress and anxiety that we used. And then for entrepreneurs, I went more for, you know, the gurus that are teaching entrepreneurs, the books, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Now I've got that out of the way. So sorry, that was kind of a long story, Ralph. But after that, then I move on to the hooks. Okay. I know who I'm speaking to. I know who to find them. Because before, you see, I was struggling with my hooks because I didn't really know who I was talking to. So all I could really say in my ad copy was how great the product is, which is honestly the biggest issue I see in advertising today is that people are still showing up in the newsfeed and just talking about how great they are. And I don't even mean that from a personal brand standpoint. I mean, brands are showing up and saying, here's my product, here are all the amazing features, buy it. And that's not going to work now. <laughs> like That is just not going to work. You actually have to be able to speak directly to these people. And so what I ended up coming up with for this brand were words taken directly from the testimonials that we got from these avatars. I didn't really have to come up with hooks like I normally do because I found them in the words of the avatar. And the ads that I ran for Panda Planner, we were generating a few thousand planner sales a month, which was huge for this business. The ads that I were running were just these testimonials testimonials in quotations, but what was powerful about them, I don't mean testimonials like this is the best planner on the market. I love it. You should too, right? That is not a good testimonial. Let me read you an example from one of the mom ads that worked like gangbusters. My mom life is more organized with the Panda Planner. I've one place to keep our doctor's appointments, school activities, days we do school trips, etc. So number one, that's a hook. I actually have multiple hooks in this ad. So this mom is now more organized. She's not missing doctor's appointments, school activities, etc. Great. Number two, it's also nice to keep up with cleaning around the house. When I need to do it, what room was deep cleaned last? Okay, that's another hook. Now her house is cleaner because of this damn planner. (laughs) It keeps me accountable on what I planned on getting done for the day, week, month. All right, that's another hook. I could have run an ad. Hey, moms, this is your accountability buddy. 
that's a hook all on its own. I love that the dates are not pre-printed because I can set my year to a school year instead of a calendar year. I'm going into my second Panda Planner Weekly one-year planner. It's big so I don't lose it. That's another hook. It's sturdy and strong and can withstand being carried around with lots of school books and pens. The pages are thick so I can use gel pens and they don't bleed through. I have a place to keep up with meal planning. I seriously can put everything in this planner I need. I love this planner. And then I put a call to action Panda Planner is scientifically proven to increase productivity and happiness, get more done, feel better, 10% off, use code FB10 at checkout. That is it. That was it. My process changes every time. It always starts with number one, is this a market-centric business or a product-centric business? That differentiation is huge. Not that market-centric businesses won't eventually need more avatars and sub-avatars like you were saying for the yoga market, but the product-centric business, a lot of you guys, especially you e-com people out there, this is the single point of failure for you because you've got this product-centric business and you you think that your avatar is someone that's going to buy your product and it's not. We got to go deeper than that so that we can actually relate. I just took a planner, again, something that there are hundreds on the market and I just placed that in front of moms and told them, all of the reasons, all of the hooks that have nothing to do with the planner, but everything that the mom cares about, meal planning, being organized with school activities, cleaning the house, the planner not being squished by school books and, you know, the pin bleeding through. Nothing that really has to do with the planner, but has everything to do with the person that I'm trying to attract. And I know 110% that's what works on Facebook in 2019. Yeah, 100%. This is so great. It's a great example. One that I didn't even know you were going to bring up here today on this show. I I love (laughs) it. The fact that you're bringing up something that it's a cornerstone concept in the Eugene Schwartz book of breakthrough advertising. This isn't new info. (laughs) This isn't new info, but yeah, we're we're doing this book club in uh, tier 11 and Angela, our awesome director of media buying has now assembled it together and we have to read chapters every single week and it's great. And one of the first chapters talks about exactly what you're talking about here under the analysis of your product. And if you really think about this, and we're really talking about these product-centric offers here more than anything, as opposed to more market-centric, which we can sort of delineate how you articulate one versus the other. But in reality, every product that you sell, you're actually given two products to sell. One is the physical product. And like you talked about those features, hey, it has this where you can put you know, to-do lists or like what you ate for lunch, that kind of thing. That's just the thing that they get. And it's your reason for charging a certain price for it. In the Breakthrough Advertising book, he talks about like, this is like the steel and the chrome and the metal in the car in the ad. It's like, yeah, we care about that. But what we really care about is the second product that your product is, is what it actually does for the person. And that's the, that's the big, big difference here. And that's where it's so important, especially with a product-centric market, is to understand your avatar. And when that avatar, what is this thing, this physical product thing, or maybe it's a service in your case, if that's your business, what does it actually do for them? And it has nothing really to do with 
the product itself, like the chrome and the steel and the bumper and the steering wheel and all that sort of stuff in a car is like, what does it really do? Well, in the case of like Mercedes or Cadillac, it gives them prestige. You know, it gives them a feeling of overall wellness, or maybe it feels like luxury or whatever it happens to be. Like that's what it does for them in the case of, you know, the Eugene Schwartz book. In your case, it's all these other little benefits, these benefits, not features. It's like, what do I do? Like this physical product, what does it actually do for my life? How does it actually improve my life? And one of the best ways to do this is not by telling people how great you are, but getting other people to tell other people about how great you are and using testimonials like you did in that ad copy. And maybe we can even put the examples here in the show notes hits on that perfectly in a really crowded market. And I know those ads did really, really well for you. Yeah, Ralph. And what's important is not even that I used it in testimonial form. You know, you don't have to have quotations and a full testimonial to make this work. I could have also told a story through that information that I got from this mom of saying, hey, are you a mom that needs to keep things in one place? You know, want to keep up on your cleaning? Just to clarify, because I think when people, you know, see these Panda Planner ads, for example, They think they need these lengthy testimonials. No, those testimonials just led me to understand how people were actually using this product so that I could further market to them. I think it definitely reinforces the effectiveness of the claim. Oh, of course. When it comes from someone, and you can do this without those, like, you know, we get approached by folks all the time that are launching new products and they don't have any testimonials. They don't have people that actually do this. But, you know, you can actually think about the avatar, what it's going to do for them, not like what the physical features of the product are, but what are really the benefits? Like it's a cliched expression, features versus benefits, obviously, but this is like benefits on steroids here. Like this is not only I'm able to do all these things, but this is the benefit behind the benefit is makes my life far more organized or far more enjoyable. And I think one of the lines that you used in that ad was proven to increase happiness, you know, (laughs) which is, you know, with a little smiley face, like really, really good, like benefit behind the benefit kind of thing. And that is great ad copy, but it comes from an understanding of your avatar and then figuring out like inside that avatar, what is the hook? What's the after state? Yes. People buy after states. They are in the before state. Your product is going to transport them to the after state. What is that after state? We'll link to that in the show notes, the great article by Ryan Dice on that, the before and after grid. But like that is at the core of this. And then we're all kind of hitting around it. There's different ways to do it, but really, really effective. There's two products you're selling. Remember, it's the physical features and then it's the actual benefits. And Ralph, I was lucky with this client to have customer data and a team that was willing to get me this information. You know, I felt very lucky to have that. But a lot of you guys out there might not be able to do that. This is something I feel passionate about and I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. I believe, obviously, a lot of us are working with clients and a lot of you guys are business owners and you're the actual person that created this product or created this business. If you don't know who you created the product for, that's tough. So just a little wake up call there. Like we have some strategies here where you can go search and, you know, figure out different hooks. But if you have created a product that you don't know 
who it's even for, you might need to do a little soul searching just to be brutally honest. I had someone come up to me at an event a few weeks ago and they were selling phone chargers. And that is definitely a product centric market. And I asked them, you know, okay, who did you build these phone chargers for? And they were able to explain that they're built for moms because there's this whole charging station where kids can keep their iPads, you can charge multiple things at one time. Even though they were just selling phone chargers and this, you know, little charging station, they still knew who they built it for. And so they were able to go through this exercise we're about to talk about with great success. But if you created a product and you really don't know why or who you built it for, I think you need to even do some soul searching before you do this research process, honestly. So sorry to cut you off, Ralph, but I just think that's an important disclaimer for everybody. So I think it's super important to understand that if the answer to that question is, is who is your market? It's everyone. Then your product is for no one. You really do need to understand who specifically this is for. And I think a lot of this for us, like our process is an extensive onboarding with customers through interviewing of the customer and even going through their testimonials, going through their Amazon reviews, going through their website, doing as much research as we possibly can about the product itself, understanding who is the user. So all sort of combined into one, that's the first step that we do. Just do a really, really deep dive on the product itself. Like as an agency, people come to us and say, okay, we want to crack the code on cold traffic or scale up our campaigns. Like how do you actually do that? Well, you do that with a deep understanding. One of the examples that I used in a presentation that I did a while back is that when David Ogilvy, you know, the father of advertising, when he won the Mercedes-Benz account, which was a very big account back then and still is today for any advertising agency, he took this research part of it so seriously that he actually flew to the headquarters of Mercedes-Benz in Stuttgart, Germany, and stayed there for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Like this is the equivalent of you doing you know, a whole day of Google searches and scouring through, you know, your customer's website if you're an agency or a consultant or really thinking deeply about, you know, who your avatar is, looking at all your reviews. This is the hard work. This is the hard work. This is the tough work because we do this over two or three calls with a customer and then multiple meetings because we realize that it's so vitally important. And people say, oh, that's so much time. Well, It is a lot of time, but something that is worthwhile is something that is worth putting time into up front. And these are the sorts of things that are going to come out of this because you can't have a good hook without a great understanding of the product itself, what it really does for people, how it produces that after state, as well as really understand your avatar or multiple avatars within your market. And the research is the most important thing. So to that effect, There's interviews that we do with our customers first off, but then there's a tremendous amount of Google research that we do as well. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've done really successfully in the past, and we used to do this, I think, in face-to-face and even calls with customers is actually interview customers Mm -hmm. and then get actual surveys from those customers and from those customers exactly like what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You can actually create your ad copy using almost what they say word for word 
you know, obviously asking yeah. them for permission first. The point is, is that you're doing all this through interviews, through Google searches, through surveys, through deep dive. Like this is your three weeks in Stuttgart, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like if Ogilvy did it, you should yeah. be doing it too. Yeah. And Ralph, I think about it this way. Like number one, you either are this person, which makes it easier. So mm. for example, at Digital Marketer, I was a marketer. I was a media buyer. I was the avatar that we were marketing to. So that made it easier because I knew what I wanted. (laughs) And a lot of you guys have created businesses or products that solved your own problems. So you know, if you aren't that person, then number two, you go and do research like Ralph just talked about and use the internet to your benefit. There's so much information. There's so many people talking on the internet every yeah. day about their problems and what they like about a certain product, what they don't like. I mean, Amazon is your best friend. You can learn about any avatar by going and looking at products that that avatar is consuming and reading their reviews. Number three, you can interview a person like you just said, Ralph. So for example, I was doing some work for Boom, Ezra's cosmetic company that's reaching women over the age of 50. And it is a bit of a broader market. And so I was struggling a bit with the research portion of things on Google and Amazon, et cetera. And so I just called my mom. (laughs) She is this avatar. And she gave me about half of the interests that we're still using today in Facebook targeting. So this is where the hard work is done, guys. Everybody wants to skip to the objectives and the tactical button pressing in Facebook. That stuff is important. But this is the bread and butter here. This is the most important part of marketing, in my opinion. It is where I spend 90% of my time, maybe even more, because if you can win in this part, figuring out the avatars, really researching the targeting, coming up with these hooks, you will win. Like this is what will lead you to success. I'm getting pumped about this, Ralph. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Open loop here. We're going to tell you actually how to pull this all together and how to sort of aggregate it. But one of the other things that we like to do, and I think this is something that Whatever I would start with a customer way back, you know, six, seven years ago, it was just me and a VA doing this thing. When I had a new customer, I would go back through their previous Facebook ads. Like I always found that if I did a lifetime analysis based on like click-through rate or lead or lowest cost per click, I would always find some little piece, some little blog post, maybe something that they had boosted in November in 2014 that really resonated with a specific audience. It like it jumps out at you, like it jumps out and like off the charts. And this involves a lot of work. Like for example, when we first have a customer come on board, we took one on yesterday that's spending, you know, half a million dollars a month and they want to go to, you know, 10x that. That's going to be a lot of research of our media buying team going back through that $500,000 a month times however many months that I think they started in March of last year to analyze what are the best ads? What are the ones that resonated the most? What are the ones that are maybe the little gems, the little nuggets of gold that maybe got pushed to the side or maybe nobody noticed? It takes a long time to do this. And when we had a customer come on about three, four months ago, and one of the ones that we had talked about when Brett Curry was on here, we 10X their ad spend. We spent 
about 20 or 30 hours analyzing all their ads since they ever started on Facebook and found the hooks, found the ads, found the ad copy that really resonated, brought those back, didn't invent our own, and then used them in our current ads and then started to scale up. And now we've been able to sort of scale on top of that based upon that messaging. So oftentimes when you're looking for the hook or sort of the answer to this, it's right in front of you. You just got to put in the work. You got to put in the research. So paid ads is another great way to find out where that hook might lie or where it's sort of hiding. Another one, which is really sort of hidden, is your Facebook page. So we do this now for all our customers. Unfortunately, most of the customers that come to Tier 11, they have a history on Facebook. They've been either posting on their page on a regular basis, they're good brands, you know, they're trying to maintain you know, a level of connection with their fan base. But in those posts on their page, what you can do is you can actually go back through the page itself and then click on insights and then go over to the left-hand side, click on posts and then sort by engagement. Unfortunately, it doesn't sort of do like a drop down of, you know, least to, to most on engagement and look at the little pink marker. It's a little bar on the right-hand side of past posts that are maybe over 10% engagement. Now, remember, when you show a post on your page, only about one to 2% of your fans actually see that post because Facebook obviously wants you to boost it, put paid traffic behind it. So if you're getting a higher engagement like in double digits, you're getting like eight, nine, 10, 11, 13% engagement, you can actually find that post, click on it, that might actually be a hook for a specific avatar that you can use in your paid advertising. So in many cases, the research for this, like the ideation of it, might be right in front of you. You just have to go out and dig for it and put in the time. Quite honestly, it's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of research time, but it'll pay off in the end because like we said in the beginning of the show, it's the most important thing that you do as an advertiser. Yeah. And also, Ralph, empathy is huge here. I've really started to notice this among like great marketers, especially in this part of the marketing process, people with empathy that, you know, are willing to put themselves in someone else's shoes tend to be really good at this because you can sit down at a table and figure out who would be interested in this and why. So just a little tip there or a thought, like if you can really tap into the empathetic side of yourself, the more success you will have with this part of your marketing campaigns. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people that's hard for them to do, quite Absolutely. honestly. Yeah. You know, it's hard to be a little bit vulnerable and be empathetic. Mm -hmm. And I think it it only helps your ad copy. It's a tough thing to do, but very, very effective. And this is done in a non-manipulative way. Let's just make sure that we all understand mm -hmm. that as well. So we've given you a lot of ideas as to how we come up with this hook sort of ideation, I guess is really what we've been talking about here, sort of explaining what it is, how we do it, you know, through research, through surveys, through your Facebook page, past Facebook ads, understanding the avatars, going through reviews, all this stuff, this takes time. Remember, you know, when Ogilvy got the Rolls Royce account, I guess apparently there was like these big manuals of stuff, like thousands of pages, and he read through those for weeks and weeks. So the point is, is like Ogilvy, okay, if you don't know who he is, Google who he is, we'll actually leave a note in the show notes for you. 
He's the father of advertising and he spent the majority of his time doing exactly what we're talking about right here. So once you get those ideas, once you do the heavy lifting, how do you organize it and put it all together so that you then end up creating an awesome ad like you did with Panda Planner? Great question. I highly recommend going back to episode 33 to learn more about the ad grid. That's really my entire process for putting it together. I think it'll be helpful to you guys. But on more of a basic sense, in my opinion, the best way to get started, you look at a client like Panda Planner. I picked three avatars that I wanted to test. So as I told you guys, there were five or six, but I just picked three to start because otherwise there just would have been too much testing going on, that yeah. too much work to do right off the bat. So three avatars, <laughs> yes. keep it simple. Yeah if, you're, yeah, if you're a market-centric business, just start with one. If you're yep. product-centric, start with three. From there, I pick two to three hooks that I'm going to use. So maybe it's emotion and feeling, maybe it's logic, and maybe it's average day. And again, go back to Ryan Dice's before and after grid to learn more about those hooks. So I pick three hooks and then three different avatars. And so what I'm able to do is then write ad copy for each of those hooks specific to the avatar. So for example, for average day, the average day hook for Panda Planner would look very different from the mom than the entrepreneur. (laughs) They're both probably wanting to save time because they're busy people, but their day-to-day are very different. You know, you guys heard the day-to-day of a mom and the ad copy that I read to you earlier. The day-to-day of an entrepreneur would talk about probably going to the office and dealing with employees and trying trying to grow your company. (laughs) So it's the same hook, but it's completely different context and completely different ad copy because it's speaking to a different avatar. So if you have three hooks and you have three avatars, that gives you three different copy variations per avatar. I normally come up with two or three different creative variations. I create a new campaign for each avatar because they're going to behave very differently. So if you put them in the same campaign, it can just throw off the optimization from what I've found. So for example, I'll build a campaign just for moms. I'll have my ad sets in there, five, 10 plus ad sets with you know different interest group to reach that mom avatar. And then in each ad set, I have enough ads to allow me to test those three copy variations and those two to three creative variations. And so I run this for at least five days And just through five days of testing, you're going to get so much information on, okay, right out of the gate, which avatars seem to be working the best. (laughs) But like, for example, with Panda Planner, I tested dads too. Dads did not work. Entrepreneurs Mm. were like a $60 CPA. Mm. Moms were a $20 CPA. Stress and anxiety ridden humans were more like 15 or $16. 
Jeez. The variation in those avatars, that is huge. And I would have never have known that if I just threw up some vanilla ads targeting, you know, people that like moleskin notebooks. <laughs> so, you know, you're not only getting the testing between each avatar, but you're also getting the testing at the ad level, which hooks are each avatars responding to? Because some avatars are going to respond better to different hooks. So that's really how I get a test up and running to make sure that we're not only testing these hooks, but that we're also testing different avatars to see which are going to resonate best with the product that we're selling. Right. Well, that's awesome. So the average day, just because we've mentioned it a couple of times, and obviously we'll leave some notes in the show notes here as to what that exactly means. But it's in essence, it's sort of describing in the copy or referring in the copy to how their day will be different in the after state. Absolutely. So for example, with the mom, you know, her cleaning was handled. She was more organized with school activities. That whole ad was basically average day. Right. And the other two hook categories that you use typically are, are which ones? Just Emotion. So mm-hmm. emotion slash feeling, I kind of use those words interchangeably. So, you know, how do they feel? Like, for example, you used to have a client that was a dog trainer, Ralph, and you guys would run ads that said, are you frustrated when your mm-hmm. dog just keeps barking at the door? So that's emotion-based because I know how that feels. That's frustrating. (laughs) And then the other that I use is logic. Most people respond very well to logic. So I had a client that turns recycled water bottles into these beautiful canvas prints. So the first sentence of my ad was logic-based and it explained how many hundreds of thousands of square miles of our Pacific Ocean are filled with trash and plastic. The Pacific Garbage Patch, I think is what it's called. Um, and so that is example of logic. So even if you didn't care about recycling before, me leading with this crazy statistic and statement of logic, it hooks you in. <laughs> it makes you care. Absolutely. So the three primary hooks that Molly uses are average day, emotion, like frustrated or whatever it is, like, you know, digging in on that pain point. We really didn't even talk about pain points and desires and all that, but that's perfectly fine. We can certainly talk about that in other episodes here, as well as logic with some kind of statistic that maybe, you know, blows their mind or goes against conventional wisdom. We found that that kind of logic sort of hook works Mm -hmm. really, really well in a lot of cases, like a did you know kind of hook. So just keeping it really simple here. I mean, we're talking about like how much research you need to do to get to this point. And yeah, that is the heavy lifting here, but boiling it down into some simple hooks that relate or translate into ad copy And that's why we have the ad grid, which is such a powerful tool here. But you can go nuts on this too. I've actually seen this where we had a dog client or somebody in the pet niche and we actually did nine avatars and nine different hooks and it was just too much. much. We couldn't test it all. Mm -hmm. So boil it down to your best three or your best four at the most or maybe two or three and keep it simple as much as possible. Because remember, you're going to have to relay this back into Facebook and Facebook responds best to simplicity, not 
complexification. Yeah. There is another word that we make up here. Perpetual traffic. <laughs> so try and keep that in mind. And uh, you know, using the ad grid and actually gridding this out, maybe with your team on a whiteboard, or mm-hmm. you know, just scratching it out. I know you scratch it out. Everything goes back on the yellow legal pad for you, like yeah. how you actually sort of map all this stuff out. So organizing your thoughts that way, and then I think you'll actually find that you know, simple is better. But a lot of those hooks will end up helping you write ad copy. It's a lot of times it just sort of writes itself because you've done all the work prior Absolutely. to that. Once you get to this step, it's actually quite yeah, easy. Yeah, I'm not even a, just 10 out of 10 terrific copywriter. I'm just a researcher. <laughs> and I'm able to pull people's words together to get the point across. So don't feel like you have to be a solid copywriter to make this work. But this has been awesome, Ralph. I know we're going to yeah. be continuing the discussion over the next few weeks. This is something you know we're both passionate about. And it's just so, so important important to our ad campaigns and our marketing campaigns in general. So really take time on this, guys. Highly encourage you to sit down, focus. There's really nothing more important that you could be spending your time on when it comes to advertising, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been great. And we'll certainly have a second and third and fourth and fifth episode on this very subject, especially as we continue to get deeper and deeper into our book club reading, which is going to be great. And uh, we expect you to be on those calls, Molly, to drop some knowledge bombs. On yeah, I, I need to reread that book too. So, um, <laughs> hey, yeah. I learn new stuff every time I read it. Absolutely. And I learned a lot of new stuff here today. And uh, hopefully Likewise. you learned a few things as well. This has been episode 205 of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. For all the references and all the notes and things that we had discussed here on today's show, make sure that you go over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 205. Epic stuff here. Molly Pittman, thank you. Great thank to you, recording Ralph back Burns. with you. Likewise. Thanks yeah. everybody for listening. We appreciate you as always. If you get value out of this, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you guys so much. Thanks so much. Till next week. See you. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply, that's tier11.com forward slash apply, and we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.